Do you mind if I turn this thing down, baby? Uh, <clears throat> uh, knock, knock. Who's there? You're supposed to say who's there, see? Knock, knock. Well, come on, all, you, all you're supposed to say is, is who's there? Knock, knock. Oh, that doesn't make any difference. I can't remember what the punchline is anyway. Do you know, baby, that there was one time... Look, put, put, the, put the puzzle down just for a second. I won't bother you. Just, just for a minute, I want to tell you something. There was, there was one time when I was a kid, I must have had at least 5,000 of those knock-knock gags. At least 5,000. I can't even remember one now. And don't ask me what made me think of it when I came in here tonight. I walk into the, I walk into the room here, and I hear this record playing. I see you sitting over there, and let, let me tell you this, baby. Now, look. It has been a long time. I mean, you know, uh, speaking of a long time, you know, some people can be married or have, let's say they work at a, a job. Some guys can work at a job for 50 years, and it, it goes by, it must go by like a 30-second, just boom, you know. Other guys can work at a job for a day, and it seems like 50 years. 50 years. And that's, that's the way it is. <laughs> what do you mean? Look, I am not telling you that, that it seems like I've been around here for a thousand years. That's up to you to decide. I am not going to open my trap. <laughs> Sometimes it seems like forever. Other times it seems like eight minutes, actually. But look, let's, let's for the purposes of argument. You know what? Now, wait. Now, just a minute. I'm not going to start an argument. I'm using the term... Uh, uh, oh, you know, like, like an editorial in the paper. For purposes of argument, I am telling you that it's been a long time, see? Yeah, well, all right. So uh, it's not so long as other people. Look, I'm not arguing about the time. Now listen, will you? Quit, quit fooling around here for a minute. See, you know what you do? You know what you do? You kind of tune in. I can sit here and talk to you for ten minutes, and you tune in on the last three and get sore. Because you didn't hear the first eight. And the first eight is when the groundwork was laid, you know? That's like you, you always listen to punchlines of jokes. And then you turn around and say, what was funny about that? you got to listen to the first part. I mean, when you look at cartoons, you got to look at the drawing, too. You know, not just the caption. Okay? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, you know? Ever since I have been a little... Ever since I was a little kid... I, 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 people think I'm arguing with them. And all I do is get involved. I get involved in something, and I, I, I start swinging, and I talk. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm feeling great. The guy turns to me and says, look, I'm not, what are you all excited about? I'm not having an argument with you. But I'm not arguing. Oh. Well, I don't care what your mother says about me and my talk. Listen, you want me to say a few things about your mother now? I can look at I can load on that doll right now, I mean, if if you really want me to. <laughs> well, all right. Look, all I'm saying is it's been a long time. Can I turn this down a little? Who is that? Oh, him. Well, uh any <laughs> Oh crying out loud, I've got a headache. What um I don't know what it is. It's it's, it's over my eyes, I look, I am not gonna take a buffer in. You have told me to take a buffer in from everything that happens to me from, from, 
forget it. I, I'm, I'll be all right. I, I appreciate your concern. I wish you really, you know, just once, I wish you would really be concerned. I mean, if I said, oh, what an headache, and suddenly this look of fear would come into your eyes, this stark terror that, that I, was somehow, uh, I was somehow going to be the victim of a dread malady. And then, then I could see these, these tears, I mean, real tears of compassion coming into your eyes, real tears, you know. <laughs> yes, oh, yes, I know you cry quite often, but that's different. It is different. I mean, compassion is different from niggling, which is what you do. You niggle. <laughs> oh, well, anyway. So, look. Look, I, I'll tell you why. I, yes, it is quite true. Yes. On the way home, two. That's all. Just two. But I feel good, and I want to talk to you a little bit before we start arguing. I mean, let's, let's have a little prelude. Uh, a prelude? A preface? <laughs> Well, let's declare a moratorium for a while on fist fighting. Oh, I'm just kidding. Come on now. Look, uh, I was going to say something good. Ah, look at those little roguish eyes light up. <laughs> I was going to tell you something good. What I was going to say is that in spite of it being so long, you still look absolutely fantastic in Toreador pants. In spite of the fact I can't stand Toreador pants. They look like every dime store girl who works in the notions department. <laughs> I mean, you make them look almost good. <laughs> Especially the leopard ones. <laughs> oh, boy. Sometimes I think you wear mental wedgies with rhinestone clips on them. <laughs> Which is all right, you know. I mean, I mean, there's a certain... I mean, if I... If, 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 I, if I had to live in the dark dungeon of my mind eternally without once looking out at the idiot skipping along, carrying great big bunches of balloons and hoping any minute now the bluebird of happiness is going to carry them into the never-never land of Oz, I guess, you know, I mean, what difference does it make, you know? <laughs> All right. I will be perfectly glad to make you a sandwich, providing you shut up and listen to me now. For just exactly, uh, let's say, 90 seconds. Huh? That is a minute and a half. That is one half a cut on an LP. <laughs> I just can't help it. That is uh, <laughs> talk. Um, talk. Um, mm. Someday, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going get to get some guy. I'm going to try to find out who it is on the Times who makes up these crossword puzzles, and I'm going to send a secret message to you through the crossword puzzle. <laughs> and only you will know. Then I'll get away. You know, I'll really get through to you, I suspect. Some people, you know, I mean, uh, I'm, not I'm not, of course, not talking about you. You just play with it, you know. Some people live their whole lives in the, in the crossword puzzle vocabulary. Do you know that? Well... I'll tell you one thing. Hey, are these guys winding up here? You can't tell on these records you play. Whether they're winding up or whether they're starting, whether they're just plain tired all the time. I mean, they're, they're really, really saying it there for all of us, baby. I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh... Hey, this is hung up. This thing is supposed to flip over to the next cut. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference. They all sound the same anyway. Look, 
I am not saying rotten things about your music. I dig this stuff, baby. Who was it who brought this record to you? Back in those wonderful halcyon days. Halcyon is a six-letter word meaning, well, you figured out. <laughs> Insane. Idiot. Idiotic. All right, dream world days. All right, I brought you this record, so don't think I'm saying rotten things about it. Now, look. I can't focus tonight. I don't know what's the matter with me. <laughs> yeah. well, I understand that. You know what occurred to me, though, seriously. Now, I'm going to be serious here for a minute, baby. I want you to listen. You just sit there on your duff and listen. And curl your itsy-bitsy toes up under your itsy-bitsy fanny and put that itsy-bitsy crossword puzzle down for an itsy-bitsy moment, huh? And light up an itsy-bitsy... Light up three itsy-bitsy cigarettes. And listen to me, huh? And I will give you an itsy-bitsy ashtray, right? That is, in addition to the other three ashtrays which you have just filled up, right? They're all too itsy-bitsy, huh? <laughs> well, anyway, here's what I was just getting around to say. I'm sitting there at the desk today, see, and Bob is on the phone. And he is talking to his wife. I can always tell when he's talking to his wife because of the way he holds his shoulders. It's like he's getting ready to duck all the time. And you know, she weighs about 42 pounds. Not more than that. And he isn't, he isn't afraid of her, actually. He thinks he browbeats her. This guy is running scared all the time. He is really running scared. And he runs scared most of all before this chick. And he's talking on the phone to her. And he says, you know, he says after he hangs up, he turns to me and he says, I, I, I'm going to say something that that uh, I never say to anybody. You know, it's funny how, how little guys talk about real things. You can work with a guy a hundred years and you never know how he feels about anybody. Maybe how he feels. And this, this guy turns to me. He's getting bald, you know. Funny. He's growing... It's, he's, not, he's not losing his hair. It's like he's growing out through the top of it. And it's a strange look. And he turns to me and he, he kind of looks odd. And he says to me, you know, I'll tell you, I don't know what I'd do without that chick. I think that's over for a minute. I don't know what to say. You know, what are you going to say when a guy says something like that to you? I know it's a wonderful thing for him to say, baby. I am not discussing that aspect of it. He was saying it to me. What do you answer to a guy when he says that is what I am proposing. What would you say? Hmm, that's nice. No, you don't say that at all. So I said, oh, great. I mean, like, you know? And so I get in the elevator, and on the way down, and I'm thinking about this, and I am thinking to myself, could I get along without you? And you know, I don't know. It goes back and forth. Sometimes I think that I, I, I could kill you, you know? I could just murder. I mean, just really kill you. And then other times, I'm walking along, and I think that if, if you weren't around, there would be nothing else around. Nothing, nothing. Nothing, which is, of course, ridiculous. I mean, both sides of the thing are ridiculous. And I don't know whether anybody can get along without anybody else ever. I mean, really. And so, sure, I mean, I bug you. But any time you want to walk out, you can do it, you know. And you bug me, and any time I want to walk out, and I, I can do it. But, I mean, why... You're right. 
It is not right to get serious before supper. Now, will you please tell me when it is right to get serious? You tell me it's not right to get serious before bedtime. It is not right to get serious before the television shows, because it ruins the commercials for you. And now it's not right to talk before supper. How many times? Do, nobody ever says anything to anybody. I am just trying to tell you that how does it feel? <laughs> oh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It doesn't matter. All I'm saying is, you know, I just want... Why did I go try to explain it again? I'm trying to... Uh, you know, every five minutes down at the office, I say, I'm not going to try to explain anything anymore. And all I do is wind up doing it. I would be glad to go down and get you another pack. I am sorry you have run out. I am touched deeply by that. Look, why does every, every, every fiend who smokes 400 cigarettes an hour suspect that you have a plot against him when you just even so much as intimate you don't think it's right that he smokes 400 cigarettes an hour? Why do they all get teed off like that? And I mean you, too. All right. Okay. You want to be mad? I can be mad. You know, it's a... I, I want to say this. Before, I'm going to shut up. I'm not going to say anything else. I will go down. I will get your cigarettes. I will bring you back... What do you want? A pastrami sandwich for supper? All right, Pastrami. All right, all right. If, if you don't want to tell me what you want, I'll bring you pastrami. Look, it doesn't make any difference to me what you eat or what you do not eat. I am going down, and I'm going to get it, and I will bring it back to you. All I want to know is what do you want me to bring back? I know cigarettes. All right. I will bring back the pastrami because I am bringing back pastrami and it's easier to ask for two instead of some ridiculous thing that you... I don't care whether you get sliced turkey and tongue with mayonnaise and Russian dressing. Ugh. Look. Look, I don't know whether I could get along without you. That's what I'm saying. I think a lot of guys who run away from their chicks convince themselves ten minutes later that they're better off for it. And then again, on the other hand, I think a lot of guys that stay with their chicks constantly tell themselves that they couldn't do anything else because they're noble and they couldn't live without this chick. And nobody knows who's right. And I don't know, you know? It doesn't make any difference. I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm here. And look, I'm going to tell you one thing. Before I go, I will be back in ten minutes. One thing I want you to remember, I am happy. H-A-P-P-P-P-Y, happy. I don't want to hear, that's a 19-letter word meaning ecstatic dream world. Hear it? Happy, and I really am. Is that thing, look, how much am I going to spend on this thing before it, before it, it flips records? That is the 23rd time that thing has played that same thing over again. Oh, what am I... Why do you... I, it's ridiculous to get mad at the machine. <laughs> that made me think of an interesting remark, which I had better not say. <laughs> I mean, getting mad, machines, 
<laughs> okay, all right, shrimp salad. You want sliced tomato on it? You want me to bring back anything else? How about a dessert? I'll tell you what, how about some Nestle Road pie? Come on, Nestle Road. Oh, come on. Just once this week. Look, so what if we get fat as pigs? Can you get fat on one piece of pie? You live on shrimp salad, you live on sliced tongue and lettuce, and breathing deep once in a while in front of the window. Why don't you, you know... Look, I will bring back two pieces of Nestle Road Pie, and if you don't want one, I will eat both of them. If you can smoke 400 cigarettes, I can eat four pounds of Nestle Road. <laughs> like fun. <laughs> no, I meant it. I'm happy. And I, I, I'm, I'm just, just, you know, I'm just talking. I'm feeling much better. My headache has gone. You know what's the funny thing about headaches? I mean, <laughs> don't say anything, baby. Don't say anything because it's liable to come back. Just, just don't rock the boat. Okay. All right. All right. Celery tonic? Okay. Right. It is going to be a festive supper, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, baby. You know, I just want one parting shot. If my mother ever came here, if she ever arrived here and found that I was living on pastrami and celery tonic, <laughs> she would go out of her skull. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with pastrami or celery tonic. I don't know, you know. She just goes out of her mind. I suppose 40 years from now, if you ever have kids, you will go out of your mind when you find out that they are not living on pastrami and celery tonic. <laughs> Good nourishing food. <laughs> I'll be back in 10 minutes. This is W.O.R., your honest station. Of course, A.M. and F.M. in New York. The Big Apple. Do you know that uh, many centuries ago, a man living in Athens propounded the theory that Athens was the hub of the universe. I mean, he meant it literally, too. 
He meant that it was right at the middle of the universe and everything extended like spokes out from it. Out, just way out until finally the stars spun, everything spun around Athens. That means that, you know, they were right in the middle of the Big Apple. And I deeply suspect that many New Yorkers feel precisely the same thing about New York. That it is the hub of the universe, right here. And that out from New York extends millions of spokes into the vast, infinite distances of space. And we are living right, right smack dab in the middle of it. Wouldn't it be very disturbing to know that there is a city, let's say, on Saturn that has 19 and a half million people and even a worse traffic situation than ours? And they even put on worse television shows than we do in this town? Wouldn't it be disturbing to know that? To know that there is a Staten Island on Venus where people sit there and vegetate and write angry letters? Yeah, you know? And, and they, they once in a while walk along the highways and they look up at the sky, that vast, stretching, blue, infinite universe, and they spot the earth and they spot other... And they say somewhere up there, there, are, there must be beings who have, who have infinitely more intelligence than we have. I mean, wouldn't that be disturbing to realize there might very well be such a thing? That, that these people are swilling even more beer than we are? Watching even worse baseball games than we watch? And that there are demonstrators walking around with signs up there? A sane space policy. <laughs> you know, I... I, I I have a, a deep and abiding belief that once you begin to get self-conscious of yourself, you're dead. That as long as Americans were just plain Americans and went along, you know, and they chopped holes in the wilderness and they built bridges and they blew up uh, great big chunks out of the earth and made reservoirs and killed the Black Panthers and did everything, you know, just went out and did it. But everything was fine, you know, it just went along fine. Theodore Roosevelt was about the last of that breed of the totally unselfconscious Americans. And then gradually in the 20th century, we began to be conscious of ourselves, and we began to flop down on our duffs repeatedly, constantly. It's like, it's like an actor. Once an actor becomes conscious of what he's doing, he is D-E-D, dead. Once he becomes conscious of the fact, I am on a stage, and I am looking like an 87-year-old man who is doer but kindly. And then he begins to be anything but an 87-year-old doer, kindly man. He just looks like a second-rate actor up there trying to make a go of it. Believe me. And I think this is what's happened to America. We are, we are cursed with a fantastic self-conscious problem, even to the extent now where the president has to, has to assign a group of deep thinkers to write out what our national aims are. On a big plaque, like uh, every day and every way I grow bigger and brighter and more wonderful and more sparkly. Uh, this kind of thing, you know. And we have, we have hundreds of magazines that are writing stories about the wonderful American way of life. Life magazine is doing this incessantly, celebrating all these things. 
Newsweek, Time, Zip, Pip, Wally, all the magazines do it. Because we are very self-conscious of being Americans, and we are very self... I, I imagine many a guy driving along the highway with his top down, with his wind, with the wind whistling through his, his crew cut, is sailing along with his automatic transmission whirring under him. He says to himself, I am a brave young modern. Pass me a Pepsi, baby. He feels, he feels really conscious of being modern, young, brave, and clean-limbed, and sociable. All these things we've become very conscious of. I mean, really, literally conscious of. We've become conscious of all these things. And so, of course, we're not making it. We, we don't look clean-limbed, brave, and beautiful. And you see long miles and lines of these, these lumpy-looking automobiles with dirt all over them and people sitting there looking looking tired and unhappy and great big bags hunger, you know, and they're sitting around there waiting for things. And, and all the while, you see, they're, they're pretending. And, and as soon as they read the next ad, they will become conscious again of being brave and modern and clean and streamlined. Well, this is a very difficult situation when we're conscious of ourselves. Very, very, very difficult situation. And, and uh, it reminds me of a little short, a very, very interesting short uh, news note that came out in the New York Times yesterday. It was about a pilot. Did you read that news note? It was a beautiful example of that. There was this pilot, see? Listen to this. There was this pilot, and he, he gets into his, his jet plane on... And uh, there it was, parked on a the field there. It was one of these carrier planes, you know, with the wings that fold up. And he gets into it. And I will read to you it exactly as it came from the New York Times. A Navy official reported today that Lieutenant J.B. Barnes, absent-mindedly and successfully, took off in a new-style jet fighter with its wings folded. He got in and just took off. The plane, an F-8U Crusader, manufactured by Chance Vought, was designed for aircraft carriers. The feat, which the Navy official said was the first known instance of its kind, which is bunk. I will tell you about a better case of that that happened to a carrier pilot, which I happen to know about, and the Navy is covering up. Who's covering up here? Well, I'll tell you. We'll get to that later on. It occurred in Rome at the Cappadocino Airport. The 34-year-old Jacksonville... That's the worst age. The 34-year-old Jacksonville pilot... He was from Florida, noticed on takeoff that the jet plane's wings were folded upward after he had arrived at a point considerably above the surface of the earth, the Navy reported. The outer sections of the wings were locked in a vertical position. A Navy spokesman said that Lieutenant Barnes climbed to a height of 500 feet, remained aloft for 24 minutes, dumped his fuel, and then made a smooth landing with wings still folded at the Italian airport. He was somewhat embarrassed. The Navy, in fact, appeared less proud of its pilot than Chance Vought was of its plane. The Dallas, Texas Aircraft Company made the first announcement of Lieutenant Barnes's feet. I will say that it had nothing to do with the plane. It had to do with Barnes. Barnes, obviously, was a positive thinker. All the way down the line. Complete positive thinker. He was a Norman Vincent Peale man from the word go. He proved once again that the power of that great thought will carry man to heights unimagined. The company's statistics made it clear that the plane did not fly with its wings completely folded. World War II carrier aircraft wings folded nearly to the fuselage. Now listen to that. They really folded up, the World War II planes, right up. Big, like ear flaps, right up around the, around the thing there, you know, right up, they folded. But Chance Vought said that only six feet, seven inches of the tip of the F-8U Crusader's wings would fold. Incidentally, I'll bet they'll, they'll investigate that now and find that Chance Vought padded the manufacturing expenses and put on that six foot seven inches of extra wingspan that meant nothing to the plane at all. Just props, and it's finally out now. But nevertheless, he flew it. 
Okay. Now, we will now get to the crux of the situation that has to do with getting, with getting conscious of yourself, which is a sneaky, rotten business. Let me tell you, and we are becoming fantastically self-conscious. And so are the Russians, by the way, and that's why they're losing ground, too. You know, it's interesting. We, we like to feel that the Russians are, are gaining in the world, but they're not, you know. Uh, they're, they're not. They're, they're, they're having their troubles. And that's, uh, that, that's another story. They have become self-conscious about their way of life. And uh, we have become self-conscious, and all the while there are other sneaky people in the world who are not self-conscious yet. They are busily chopping down trees and blowing up bridges. That's <laughs> another crowd. Who knows where the next one will stop. But there was a guy I met one time on a carrier. I'm on the carrier Essex, the very famous old World War II carrier, which is still in business. And I'm sitting down there in the wardroom, and the, the palaver's going on. Incidentally, if you're, if you're interested in how the wardroom of a carrier is, it's roughly like a, the anteroom of one of the... Uh, Oh, let's say uh, one of the seedier second-rate funeral parlors. Uh, there's a there's an air of a kind of somber waiting, and a sort of uh, uh, just galloping boredom. Have you ever heard? Have you ever been bored at one word? Just one word. Suddenly, you just <sighs> great cloud of boredom just pours down over you like a sea of molasses syrup, lukewarm. I had a moment of boredom today that just just rocked me. I'm walking along over there by the Time Life Building, which can be pretty boring itself. And all the water was squirting up out of the fountains, and all the tourists were around there. And there was a little stout lady who was trying to buy a paper from a guy on the corner across the street. You see, and the guy is fooling around. He's getting the papers out. And he had a big chunk of iron on top of the papers. And he knocked the iron over, and it fell on the, on the pavement. It went, boing, boing. Well, I was surrounded by tourists, most of them from Chillicothe, Ohio, or points equally interesting. And they were all around me there, wearing their... You, have you noticed that, that, that the dress of tourists is different from the New York dress? Have you really noticed tourist dress? Have you noticed the shirts that some of those men wear? And the, the flower dresses on the women? And, and it, seems to, it seems to not bother a man at all who comes from Toledo, Ohio, to walk right down Fifth Avenue wearing a sweaty T-shirt. That that is has got a little blue piping around the around the neck and little blue piping around where he puts his cigarettes and it's always filled with lumpy things and a pair of sunglasses that stick out and a brownie bullet camera hanging there. You know this is a real tourist and a real he's got he doesn't have a crew haircut not a short haircut in the sense of Madison Avenue but a short haircut. You know what I mean by a short haircut? This is different from from a hip haircut. And so so this I'm I'm in the middle of these people when suddenly. This piece of iron goes boing, like that. It rings in the air. I will award the brass figligi with bronze oak leaf palm to the first one who calls in and tells me what immediately was said by at least nine yokels around me. Come on. What is it everybody says when something falls down and makes noise? Boing. Come on. What do they say? Oh, they don't say yipe. Now cut it out. <laughs> well, here was this guy, and they all cackle as though they have just discovered a new witticism as soon as it said, <laughs> and I, I, I was just instantly stunned with this gigantic boredom. Nobody ever thinks of anything new. Nobody ever thinks of anything new, and the things that they think of that are old are were, were bad even when they were when they were new. 
which, which it kind of runs. And I just felt all of a sudden, just a terrible wave of boredom. All right, come on. We'll award the brass figure with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me what American mankind, at, at, a, at a given cue, something falls, what immediately comes to the, to the mind of an American to say, as though he has just discovered a new witticism. Come on. Now, this is a very interesting thing because, you see, this is a, this is a sound, a noise, a noise-conditioned reflex. This is like what Pavlov said, you know. Ring the gong and the, the mouth will salivate. Ring the gong and people say this. Well, we think a lot of other things about the rest of the world, and we ring, when the gong rings, we say things equally uh, piercing and cutting. You see, just when the gong rings, this one you happen to... Does, does he know? What? Oh, no, 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 no. Not the one about the filling. No, 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 no. There's one that's even cornier than that. Much more common than that. No, no, no. See, what he's talking about is the hip yokels would say the one about the filling. Somebody's dropped the filling out of their teeth. What is it that is always said, uh, and there's a certain type of guy who will say that. Okay, does this one got it? Have it? Is it? Yeah. All right. All right, now, now, now you, hello. Hello, now look, uh, can you, what is it now? Come on now, that isn't what they say. They don't phrase it that way. No. Now I'm going to have to treat you like an American. Boing, say it. Well, that's closer to it. Usually they refer to somebody. No, they just say, somebody did it. They don't say, did you? I mean, they're here, they're in the middle of a crowd. How are they going to say it to this one guy? Now, come on now, don't be so obtuse. I mean, let's let's get right to the point of it here. All right, now, what is it they say? I'll, I'll, I'll test you. Boing! Oh, but that isn't the way they say it. Give me a good reading here. Boing! Oh, come on now, come on now. No one ever would preface it with, I think. It's ridiculous. Now, that, now, that's a typical Stevenson attitude. He will not commit himself. What's that? All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's much, that's much closer. But you see, I'm talking about in a crowd. When there's a lot of people walking in a crowd, they can't see the guy. They can't see who did it. All I hear is, Boing! Okay, fine. Thank you. They're very close. But it's funny, isn't it? Isn't it? Fu isn't it interesting when when you put a person right on the griddle, they can't remember what they really say under a real condition. That's why most people are so lousy at writing. They uh, when they when they're conscious of, of of saying something, they can't even say anything. They they can't get anything out of their mouth. All right, come on, let's go. I will try it once again. Is that one there? Uh, well, then tell them you can't talk. We're we're boing. <laughs> Okay. And so this, this tremendous moment of boredom assailed me. I just felt, I, I really, I felt bored for about five minutes after that. It's a kind of boredom. All right, okay. You know, all right, all right, all right, all right. It's, uh, there's another kind of witticism. That, you know, the million and one witticisms about people who, uh, let's say about people who have just been married. This is another kind of witticism that bores me. Just the, 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 the usual thing. It's the, hello. Oh, boy. Yeah, you see? 
So anyway, I'm I'm walking along there and I'm 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 confronted with this that we have conditioned reflexes that work almost invariably. You mentioned Frenchmen. Automatically you think of about nine conditioned reflexes that have to do with French people. Englishmen. Scotsmen are always doer. Invariably they're doer. But the point being here that once you become conscious of what you're saying, once you become conscious of what you're doing, you can never do it again. The people say these things without knowing they're saying them. And so I'm sitting down there in this this terribly boring place, this ward room. I mean, just terribly boring. And and they're talking along, and, and suddenly somebody's on, on one of the, the usual kicks, you know, they're talking about, oh, a funny thing happened to me one time I was coming into this field in Tampa, and blah, 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 blah. you hear this, all flyer talk. When the, when the talk finally turned to Charlie and his legendary feet, and Charlie is sitting down there at the end of the table drinking juice. There's something they serve in the Navy just called juice. And you drink juice. It is, it is not alcoholic. It is not sweet. It is not sour. It is not uh, bitter. It's not acid. It's even not even hardly wet. And you just drink this, and it's called juice. This guy's down there drinking juice, and he's sitting there. And they, they begin to talk about what Charlie did one time at Pensacola. And, of course, I'm listening. I said, well, what would a Charlie do? Oh, tell a Charlie, hey, Charlie, here's a guy who hasn't heard what you did in Pensacola. And Charlie goes, oh, come on. You know, this terrible board, I mean, like a story he has told for 48 years. He doesn't want to, oh, come on, will you? I said, what happened, Charlie, in Pensacola? Come on, Charlie, because everybody knew about it. Oh, come on, you know what I mean. Oh, come on, how about some drink? You want some, I want some, how about some juice here? How about a juice, huh? I said, I do not want any more juice, Charlie. Juice is coming out of my spleen. I don't want any more juice. Now, you tell me what happened in Pensacola. Well, okay. All right. You see, I'm, I'm, in, this, I'm in this F4U, you know. And uh, if, in case you're interested, an F4U is a plane that the wings fold up. You know, it's a, It folds up just like, a, just like a pair of ear flaps all the way up from the top of the fuselage. I got in the, uh, this F4U, and I was going to take a trip to Armadillo. The airfield down there, and, and um, I, I I get in the F4U, and I get the I get the signal from the control tower, and I go, and I start taxiing, and I take off. Well, I'm 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 doing fine. I'm about oh maybe 75 feet, 100 feet in the air. I'm checking. I'm just going along, and all of a sudden, like the the control tower is hollering at me, and they're saying, Charlie, Charlie, and I say, What do you want? And they say, Your wings are folded. And I'm doing fine. I'm flying. I'm going along fine. I look out, and sure enough, my wings are folded. And just like that, I drop like a rock. Pow! Right through the trees. And they dragged me out. Wow. Let me tell you. I said, well, Charlie, were you doing okay? Till yes, I was doing fine. I was doing fine. These guys call me. I, I probably would have made it all the way to Amarillo. I mean, and, 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 uh, you know, I could have probably come in fine if they hadn't said something. And I'm sitting down there about ten minutes later, drinking drinking the juice. And I begin to figure out, you know, this is true. That if somewhere along the line, suddenly, if, if someone hadn't made me conscious of success, I might have become successful. You know? If, if, if somewhere along the line, somebody hadn't, hadn't said to me, you know, uh, there's this terrible problem. There's this problem of good and there's this problem of evil. I might have turned out good. You know, but I, I got the buckles. As soon as I found out that I was flying and I, my wings weren't, weren't folded down right. 
can I, you, you'd be surprised. When I was nine, I was the most fantastically successful kid in the block. I mean, I was making dough hand over fist, and I was famous. By the time I was 15, I was on a network show, coast to coast, believe it or not. And one day, I'm riding on the streetcar coming home, the Western Avenue car, and there's this guy sitting next to me, and he says, you are the most fantastically successful kid I've ever known. Successful? What do you mean? He says, you're making all this dough, and you're on his radio, and you're doing everything. I says, yeah, that's right. And I looked around, I saw all the other kids are just standing around scratching and wearing out corduroy, corduroy pants, and once in a while having a fit and kicking their shoes off, and that's about all they were doing, and here I was swinging. Within six months, I was doing nothing but wearing out corduroy pants. It's been that way ever since. I mean, it's been that way ever since. Once you become conscious of yourself, you're dead. Don't ever look at yourself in the mirror, really. I mean, you know, I mean, if the, if the ad man who stands up Monday morning at the copy conference with that beautiful, bright, shining eyes, and he tells about how marinara sauce is really an American way of life thing, and that we got to make people conscious of thin spaghetti, it'll bring peace and happiness to... If he once realizes what he's doing, he's dead. He'll never be able to do it again. Ever again. I'm just giving you a word of advice. Don't look. Just don't. Don't look. Or maybe, 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 maybe you're here because you have looked. I mean, those who have looked. I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. No wonder. No wonder, just another bunch of slobs and non-effectives sitting arounders like myself are sitting out there listening to me. Oh, come on, don't, it's not going to do you any good. It's not going to do you any good to try to hide and say this guy's talking like, like he doesn't know what he's talking about, you see, because you suspect that he does. And that makes it even worse, you know. You know, once you start looking back... You got to start writing books on how to be happy. You, st- you got to start reading books on how to be happy and how to be successful. Let's try it again, Ralph. Once more, please. Don't don't let me don't don't let don't, don't let me alone here. I mean, uh, you get conscious and you 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 can't you can't turn back. That's it. Oh, blow that thing, man. I mean, blow that thing. I hear you talking, man. Now, as long as you don't hear you talking, you'll blow good. It's okay if I hear you talking, and I'm not going to say it too loud, so if you hear you talking, then you're liable to stop talking good. You know? So just blow that thing, man. I'm sitting here listening. Has it ever occurred to you that that New York is the spiritual home of the cheapy? Um, 
Speaking of cheapies, this is WORAM and FM New York, and we will be here until 1 o'clock in the morning. But, you know, it is a fact. I, I never realized until I came to this town just to what extent and to what fine degree of, how shall I say it, refinement, that the cheapy aspect of man was... It just, it's a fine art in itself. And to me, the, the natural, spiritual home of the cheapy is New York. Do you know that, that, that out in the Midwest, here I'm, I'm walking around out in Chicago, you know, just innocently. Not, people in the Midwest, in fact, most people who are outside of New York hardly ever can see what the nature of man really is because of the, the conventions that man has placed upon man in these places. And when you come to New York, you begin to understand something really about mankind. That I remember about, oh, it must have been about the first six or seven months I was here. I never could, I never could quite get over, and never really have, the startled, peculiar feeling that you get when you see a well-dressed elderly lady rummaging in a wastebasket on Madison Avenue. <laughs> really? You know, or a tall, thin man wearing a, a dark blue Chesterfield with a velvet collar, spearing a Daily News out of the trash can in the BMT. You know, and, and very casually flipping the flipping the cigar butts off of it, and the the clinging wads of gum, and other indescribable objects. And, and it seems to bother him not a bit that he's that he's a, a true human scavenger. I, I wonder if there is a person here right now, who, just one, look, we won't use your name. I would like to be in touch with a guy who within the last month has, has in a sense, sniped a butt, who has, in a sense, snagged the newspaper out of a wastebasket. I want to ask you some questions. I really would like to ask you some questions. Would you please get in touch? And I want, I, want a, I want an honest one. I don't want any phonus balonuses. Because I can tell a phonus balonus in a second when I get him on the phone. I can tell whether or not he's a real butt sniper. Because I've become a real student of them. You know, I saw probably the, the most creative single act of cheapyism that I've seen in a long time at the H&H recently. Which, by the way, is where more really good creative cheapyism goes on than any single place in New York. I saw a guy sitting there. See, he's waiting. He's sitting there, and he's looking, he's reading somebody's last week mirror, you know. He's sitting there, and his eyes, his eyes were alert, like he's in the jungle, and he's waiting. A well-dressed gentleman. Now, I'm not against the indigents who come in and, and snipe an occasional end of a prune, a prune danish or anything like that, but here's, here's this guy sitting there, see, and, and he's got a prop empty cup of coffee in front of him. See, there has been no coffee in this thing for four hours. Ah, here's a butt sniper. Hello. Yeah. All right, would you please announce that? What do you do? You say that you you do more than snipe butts. You have what? Ah, that sounds like you're really a you're really truly a creative cheapie. I'm an artist. You're an artist. Uh, where where do you find the best picking, sir? Uh, right on Thirty Third Street. On Thirty Thirty Third and Third Street is about the best pickings for a for a butt sniper yeah, and. I got An admiral's chair with a big cushion you sniped at 33rd and 3rd, yes. I got a, uh, a kitchen table. Oh, fine. I got a, uh, a lampstand. Yes. I tell you, people around here are crazy. They throw away the best things imaginable. I see. Well, do you often rummage in trash cans? Well, sometimes I do, 
Yes, but uh, I'm curious though. Do you do you often do it? I see. You're not loath to to make a good quick grab, and as if there's something. I see. Yeah. Well, I almost picked one up the other day on Lexington Avenue. You know, it was very embarrassing. I'm I'm walking uh, at about 59th, maybe it was 60th in Lexington with a very important man. You know. And, and I were very important guys, and all of a sudden I spotted a 1937 Philco Model 66 Cathedral radio in a waste can, you know, surrounded by old daily newses and mirrors and posts and stuff. And it was the funniest thing. I, 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 it was just like my legs worked by themselves. I sidled over this thing, and I had my hand all the way in the wastebasket before I realized what I was doing. And the guy says, so what's the matter? And I said, oh, nothing. I'm just a little dizzy now. That filet of soul that we just had there is kind of heady stuff. What, what, there must be a word that describes it, and I can't think of the word. Because it's a sort of super sanity. Not really. You know, you can carry sanity to the point where it becomes something more than sanity and then becomes a kind of multiple insanity. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like a man who is so efficient that he's he's a madman. You ever seen that kind? No one can deny but what he's efficient. And and sanity and the urge to know can be carried to the point where it becomes a fantastic psychosis. And completely listen to this 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 little news note here, a beautiful little news note. And and just mull mull over the uh, implications of this. This is from a a medical journal. A medical... Oh, that impresses them immediately. They all say, oh, no, no, a medical journal. Somehow, of course, we all believe in magic. And the word science is our current magic. Recent technical refinements have made it possible to produce natural movements and more complex behavior changes by means of electrical stimulation of localized areas in the brain. It's the whoopee hat that we've been talking about. J.M.R. Delgado, you notice the names these guys always have? J, I mean, very official-sounding names. J.M.R. Delgado has summarized his most recent studies in this field. He inserted extremely fine... And can't you just see the mad scientist working at his laboratory? Listen to this. Dr. Delgado inserted extremely fine insulated wires in various areas of the brain. In the case of animals, these were connected to radio receivers attached to the animal's collar. <laughs> Stimulation of the selected area of the brain could be achieved by means of a transmitter located at a distance. <laughs> animals could be made to do simple things like winking, <laughs> raising one leg and other things, or extending, raising one leg, I repeat, or stimulating the upper extremities at will, at the will of the operator at a distance operating his transmitter. <laughs> we made a robot here. <laughs> at times, the will of the animal was to resist the movement, but the stimulation always caused him to do the desired thing. For example, monkeys, we worked with monkeys here in the laboratory. I want to tell you about this. Would you like a little cherry? <laughs> this is a wonderful thing. Monkeys were made to extend their arms, and they could not put the peanuts into their mouths with their feet at times when their arms were made rigid by my little electrical stimulation, and it was a wonderful thing to be old. And then uh, I... <laughs> Would you like a little cherry? <laughs> 
stimulation of the mongoloid nuclei precipitated fierce fights. I got these two cats, <laughs> and I stimulated their mongoloid nucleus, and these were very friendly cats. And between 30 and 40 seconds, perhaps measured on my electronic clock, the two cats were fighting like cats and dogs. <laughs> I had stimulated their mongoloid nucleus. Well, let me tell you what happened. The fighting ceased as soon as I turned off the current. <laughs> I produced my desired effect. Little trouble later on, after I did this several times, the cats continued to fight even after I turned off the current, but we're getting new cats now. <laughs> In another little experiment we ran at the lab here, <laughs> I, I, <clears throat> I wanted to experiment with the aggressive and domineering boss of a monkey colony. Well, we stimulated with tiny wires in this septal area caused, alas, a complete loss of aggressiveness, and he turned into a meatball. He was immediately attacked by other monkeys, who then began to move about in the cage without fear. The man, oh, was, uh, excuse me, monkey. The monkey was, <laughs> I slipped for a moment there. We're working on men later on. Was reduced to a complete meatball. However, when we turned the current off, he immediately became boss again and slugged two monkeys in the eye. Oh, it was wonderful to see. Well, let me tell you, we have fun in the laboratory. We have wonderful fun. We have been able to work on some experiments. Now, don't tell anybody. Would you like a little share? You look like a man I can trust. Now, if this ever gets out, it could very well result in a movie by Chester Morris. And maybe... Who knows, maybe even Peter Laurie, and I would not like to see myself portrayed by Peter Laurie or Chester Morris on the screen. Now, uh, would you like a little cherry? It's little, it's a Montliado, actually. It's very good. I have a cask of it myself. I brought back myself. A trip I took. I, I would, uh, well, we, we've been working here in the laboratory, and you look like a man I can trust. I can trust you, right? <laughs> well, if I can't trust you, we have other ways of doing... Well, we have some interesting things we can do here at the laboratory, so you might as well listen and keep your trap shut. Now, uh, we have uh, a little thing we did the other day. Actually, we had two scrub women here. <laughs> Just scrub women. They didn't say much around. And so we paid them an extra five bucks or two one Saturday, and we began to work on them. And, uh, well, actually, we, uh, we inserted a couple of, uh, uh, very thin wires in the, uh, superior temporal convolution. Now, you know where the superior temporal, it's a very involved operation, but it only took a few moments under local anesthetic. I began to apply the current, and within five minutes, the two women had, <laughs> they had, they had proposed marriage to me, both of these elderly scrub women. It was a very embarrassing moment, but it was a wonderful thing to see. Well, we had a little 11-year-old boy here in the laboratory, and we, we applied the electrical currents to him, and within five minutes he was saying, say, you know what I'd like to be? I'd like to be a girl. <laughs> oh, it was a wonderful thing. We're working on other experiments, and uh, <laughs> I can trust you now. Would you like a little cherry? It's a wonderful thing. It's a, we're working in here, and we're, we're finding out all sorts of things about me. Actually, we're doing things for the good of all mankind here. And uh, when mankind realizes what, what we're doing, what good we're really accomplishing, mankind will finally appreciate how much they owe to us here in the laboratory. Would you like a little share? <laughs>
speaking of mad monsters, this is W-O-R-A-M and F-M, New York. Hold that on the, uh, in abeyance there, Ralph. Uh, we'll be here until one, and I'd like to point out something in case you're interested. What I just read to you was read word for word from a current medical journal. I did not make it up. I'm, I'm now stimulating the temporal region. Look at that old doll up on the table. Look at that. I think it's terrible wearing black negligee at her age. Come on, let's go. All of us, all together, let's all go. Go. <laughs> just, just hold it for a second, Ralph. Just set it back and I'll give you a cue. Right there near the end of it. That's it. About the last... No, wait. No, hold it now. No, not yet. Not yet. That's it. Now, wait. I'll, t- I'll tell you. Just a minute now. If you could ever tune in deep, dark, down within your own life, I mean, if you could put some kind of a rectifier and a detector a signal rectifier, and finally analyze the life stuff, the mosaic, the, the, the texture, the, the, let's say, the basket weave of your life, and then translate it into understandable musical terms. Has it ever occurred to you that, that your life might very well sound like this? Bawdy, ridiculous, aggressive as all get out. We're way down deep in the psyche of David Susskind now. It's insane, man. Can't stop running. Wow. One more. Just one more. Just one more. Just give me one more revival of Wuthering Heights. And I'll know that man is on the teetering brink of total final insanity. feel like you just had a narrow escape? I mean, I mean, maybe maybe it is that mankind has forever felt that he has just had a narrow escape. Wow. 
I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't recognize it. Like this thing that happened to me the other day, this friend of mine looks out of the window and says, it was a wonderful new day. Oh, it was a fantastic new day. Look at that. It was a new day. Everything was, it was new. Have you heard this expression ever? It was a new day. The implication, of course, being that there are new and used days. And once in a while, a new one comes along. I can just see this guy waking up. It's 8.30 in the morning in gray. He goes to the window of his apartment that looks over a grand concourse. He sees the cars moving back and forth. And suddenly, he says, this is a funny thing here. What is this? There's something... This is funny. He turns around, he walks into the kitchen and takes the toast out of the automatic toaster. Somehow he knew that the one on the left side was going to be done just a little too lightly. Hmm. Sits down with his toast, picks up his cup of coffee, and he knows that in... 30 seconds, he's going to spill it. He sits there, and inevitably it does. It spills. Hmm. What is this? Looks at his watch. A little bit after 8.30 now. Should start raining in about five minutes. And the radio is saying, The weather today is clearing with no trace of rain. It's been raining in five minutes. picks up his umbrella, which he knows somehow he is going to leave on the BMT. Holds it in his hand, goes down the automatic elevator and out into the street, and sure enough, it's raining slightly. Puts up his umbrella, walks to the corner, buys himself a, a New York Times. He knows that the headline is going to say, Kennedy lashes out at Nixon on four-point foreign aid program. He looks at the paper and it says, Kennedy lashes out at Nixon on four-point eight program. He looks up at the top of the paper and it says, Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. Ah, that's familiar. Thursday. I, I, I know this Thursday. I have seen this Thursday before. It's a used Thursday. It's being rerun. They're rerunning Thursday again. It's, 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 this is the one we had. It was three weeks ago. I remember it just like, I remember it like yesterday. He goes down, down the subway steps and finally catches the train and sits down next to a short, fat lady whom he remembers from the last time. Know what to say? Am I gonna? Shall I tell her that this is a used Thursday and ask her whether she remembers me, or do I remember her at all? Do I possibly, uh, madam? <clears throat> am I bothering you? Am I bothering you, madam? Uh, uh, I'll, I'll move over. Uh, do you know what time it is, madam? You know your watch is wrong, madam. Yes, I happen to know that it's not 
You know, the last time you told me I got to work 15 minutes late, I took your word and I stopped off a chock full of nuts. <laughs> so you're wrong. What do you mean you heard it on the radio? That's what you said last time, Adam. You checked it with radio time, but that's a cheap radio station you listen to. <laughs> the one with the vibrating weather tower, I know that one. Do you remember me saying the same thing the last time? But no, I, I didn't really say that. I thought the same thing last time. Really. I'm saying it this time. <laughs> oh. Look, madam. I, I, just, just forget that I said it, see? I mean, don't say anything to the conductor, okay? Okay? I know you won't. You didn't the last time. And then he sits back and feels the seat under him, and it's hard, it's real, and it's used Thursday. And then he begins to extend it further and says, what is this? It's like, you know, it's a funny thing. I have been living used Thursdays now for years, and I never recognized it till this moment, and used Tuesdays, and used Mondays, and even used Sundays, and then the worst of all. And I've certainly lived a lot of used Saturdays his jaw shut and says nothing. And he comes to a stop. Times Square. He stays on. This time he's not getting off. 34th Street. 23rd. 14th. 4th Street. Finally the battery. The last stop. The first time in a long time, and he gets out, gets on the ferry. Heads out across that choppy water in the direction of Staten Island. Goes into a used car lot and buys a used car. 1947 Hudson. Pays cash for it, gets into it. Drives across the causeway and into the glowering dusk that eternally hangs over the state of New Jersey. Finally done it. He's been loving used Thursdays. You, and the one that really hurt was the used Saturday. That's the one that hurt. That's it. Cheer. He finally made it. Cheer him on his way. You know, it suddenly occurred to me that I never told you why... Why I had this great moment at the University of Chicago, you know, it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with the football game. I was, I was sitting around here during the news a couple of moments after trying to remember the point sequence in that great football game. Yes, I remember now. I remember now. It was, it was 19... Boy, it was 19 to 12 going into the last two minutes of the ball game. But that wasn't the, the moment. I'm a little kid, you know. I'm about eight or nine, and somebody took me to the University of Chicago one day. And they took me to the library there. Have you ever been in the library of a really great university? A real library? And incidentally, the University of Chicago is gothic. 
Go into a Gothic library and you've had it. Boy, it's like going into Westminster Abbey. And I go into this Gothic library and I'm about maybe four feet tall. And the term stacks was a literal description. You see, when they say I'm in the stacks over here at this library on 53rd Street across from the Museum of Modern Art, stacks, schmacks, stacks. Stacks, it looks like an IBM office. Oh, boy, when you got into the, into the University of Chicago library, you were really in the stacks. And there were tall, thin ladders that would wheel back and forth with muted creaking sounds. And tall, thin scholars were way up at the top pulling out tall, thin volumes. And there were tall, thin windows all reaching for God or something, which, by the way, is the basis of that tall, thin window in the Gothic cathedrals. And the tall, thin reaching up of all these buildings is a kind of reaching up, reaching up. I get into this building, and there's a there's a smell of despair and hope. Really, it's a mixture of 18 million pieces of paper and 17,000 ancient, ancient volumes covered with cracked leather. You can smell it all. You can smell Schopenhauer here. Sort of musty and dead, and yet unhappy, and yet at the same time strangely hopeful. And I, and I don't know anything about any of this, you know. And I, I'm strictly a Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy type at that juncture. I had I had just I had just begun to nibble around the edges of the land of Oz. I think the first one I read was uh, was Tick Tock in the Land of Oz. And it was about my speed at the time. And I was taken into this this room, and I, wow, it was it was so vast that there was fog hanging over the top reaches. Fog, you could just see the mist up there, and the book stretched right up into the mist. And you could hear you could hear an occasional thunderclap up there, rolling muted thunder, boom, that kind. The gods were bowling, boom. Which, incidentally, was what my mother always used to tell me. And I was a pin boy at the time. And I wondered whether the gods had a fairly decent average. Whether they were good bowlers or not. Whether they lofted the ball. I always have suspected that when God bowls, he lofts the ball on us. You know what lofting a ball means to a pin boy? Huddled back there in the pits, looking between those battered wooden pins... You see this gigantic monster who looks like some insane Jack Carson, the eternal bowling captain, who grabs a hold of that two-fingered ball and lofts it. This is the guy that puts the arts on the bowling ball before he lets it go, and it goes boom, boom, and it hits the, it hits the alley twice, and finally hits smack down in the middle of those pins on the fly. And all you see surrounding you is a cloud of these wooden flying pins. You catch him on the shins and in the small of the back and in the floating rib. You try to feel that two-finger Brunswick bulky colander. One day I say to my mom, Mom, does, does, does God loft the ball? And she says to me sometimes, yes. I'm forced to admit it. I suspect he does. I say, Mama, well, what, what can you do about it? Just duck which was very true.
And so, I'm, I'm in the middle of this, you see. I'm looking up there and I can hear God bowling up in the upper reaches of this this gothic cathedral. There's more religion in the library than in 90% of the churches. Believe me. And you can hear it rolling back and forth and thundering and booming up there. And I'm about nine years old. Whoo! Wow! And I have never lost that. Never, never have I lost that. And sometimes I go over here at the library on Fifth Avenue off of 42nd Street there, and I just look up in those marble halls, just walk around in there. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, when you walk along Fifth Avenue and you come up to 42nd Street and you see all those lights pointing up at all those big men, all those busts and those plaques and all those sleeping pigeons up there, and those great big carved letters dug deep into that into that stone facade. Ooh. I mean, you just stand there and you can hardly concentrate on Bonwit Teller's window after that. Boy. And so I'm this kid, you know, and I begin to get I begin to get this 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 watery thing around the knees. I'm standing there. I begin to get this watery thing around the knees. The guy who brought me, who was a friend of the family, says, what do you think of this? I said, I, I don't know. It's big, isn't it? Said, yeah, it sure is. I said, boy, they must have all the books in the world here. He says, oh, not by a long shot. They have not even started here. I said, but, but you mean more? He says, more. It's, it's so big, you can't see the top. He says, that's why they got more books. Nobody ever has seen the top, ever. And I got this watery thing around the knees. And ten minutes later, we're in the, the plantation shack, which is about two blocks away from that, that library. And I'm having this big thing that kids love to have when they're kids. Cheesecake, following a dish of barbecued spare ribs. And I can't concentrate on this. And I say, Oh, that's big. He says, That's big. Says, Boy, does somebody read all those books? Says, nope. Oh, no. Nobody can read all those. Nobody can, really. Says, but, 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 you mean. People wrote all those books. See, yeah. But, but, why did they write all those books? No one ever knows. No one will ever know. And that's why they write them. They just keep writing and writing. And they just keep reading and writing. I said, but what are they about? You see, I was deep in Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy, and I knew what that was about. Now I'm not sure. He says, well, they're about all kinds of things and yet about nothing, really. I said, well, but, but, but dogs don't write books. He says, yeah, that's the difference, actually. But dogs don't look unhappy. He says, maybe that's why. Well, but, 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 I mean... I don't know. Don't we, we'll finish your ice cream, will you? Let's go. What 
is that you're eating this? How did you get that cheesecake? I just sat there. I have been sitting there ever since. I mean, really. And so when this guy called tonight and said, what are you trying to prove, Shepard? I don't know. What are any of them trying to prove? I don't know. And then that night, I'm home. My mother says, how did you like going to the library? With Uncle Jack, who wasn't my uncle at all. He was a friend of the family. In those days, all friends of the family were called uncle. And all guys who did radio programs were called uncle. You know, I would be greatly, I would be greatly flattered if one little kid would come up to me one time and call me Uncle Gene. I am Uncle Gene on the radio. But that's another age. And so she said, how did you like going down there with Uncle Jack? I said, well, I don't know. I said, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. She said, well, where did you go? She didn't know where we had gone. She said, where, where did you go? I said, well, we went down to the library. In those days, it was called library. She says, you went down to the library? What, what were you doing at the library? I, 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 well, we just went down there, and Uncle Jack said that I, I should see it. Well, did you get out a book? Well, no. Well, did you have a good time? Yeah, yeah, I had a great time with Uncle Jack. She says, well, well you don't look like you're happy. I said, well, I, well, I am happy, Ma. She said, well, why is it you look scared? <laughs> I'm not scared. I had a great time with Uncle Jack. And then she went into the, into the next room, and she dialed on the phone, and she called up Jack. And she says, where did you take Jeannie this afternoon? Well, that's what he says. But why is he scared? What's he scared of? 